We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We are here with co-host Andrew Spade for a Wednesday mailbag, midweek mailbag, wildcard week. We got some alliteration going on. Wednesday wildcard, but also midweek mailbag. What's up, Andrew? That's well said, Jake. Uh, I'm doing well. Happy to be with you and dig into some some mail, talk a little bit about the Browns injury report, Mm -hmm. and just I'm starting to get to the point of genuine, very like constant excitement for the game. Me too. I, I started a little slow. That game Sunday really did take a little bit of edge off of everything, I think. But it's, it's been a long up. season, man. It's it like been. you're right. When when you think back on getting to the bye week and then like Watson is hurt, all of a sudden you get through the portion that Watson's hurt and it's like, oh yeah, PJ Walker started some games. They started DTR. Then Watson came back. And you got back on your high horse, felt good about it. Then he gets hurt again. Then you have to remind yourself, after he got hurt, it wasn't even Flacco immediately. They they did the Dorian Thompson-Robinson thing again. It's actually, when you think back on this season, it's it's felt, I don't know, maybe we say this every year, people are mocking me while I'm saying this. It has felt like multiple seasons in one, but I don't know that that's any more true than this year. No, I think you're absolutely right. Last year was essentially two seasons. There was the Brissett season and then the Watson season. Yeah. I think it probably is driven by the quarterback stuff, right? I think yeah. you tie so much of your season to how the quarterback goes. And when it doesn't go and it it's choppy like this, it just feels like it's kind of never ending. But at the same time, because they kept winning it. Well, they had I mean, the Cade York season, then the Dustin Hopkins season. And now right. we're in Riley. Yeah, you're right. Those guys don't quite move the needle. Yeah. It's yeah. Right. It's the, uh, yeah, you're you're not tracking the punter the same way that you're tracking who's behind center. So, despite winning though, would you agree that there's been like a lot of fan trauma this year? Whereas, like, I felt like last year, we although the suspension stuff was crummy, it was awful to to sort of see that put a damper on your season. You knew it before the season, and everything just got to week. What is it? Week thirteen. Um, yeah. This year, it's felt like. Okay, you know, Nick is hurt. That's traumatic. Then the next injury happens, right? Or started with Conklin, then Nick. And I feel like the the Watson thing happened twice. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, how many podcast episodes were we sitting there trying to figure out if this guy could throw or not? Right. Let alone getting to the point that he got fixed and then re-injuring the show. So I don't know. I just feel like this has had, despite all the winning, it's had this element of like, like, and I think this is what we talked about largely why people haven't felt Ken Carmen talked about it yesterday, Andrew, mm, he did about how like this hasn't felt like, like super amped up playoffy the yep. way maybe even 2020 did. I think it's largely because there's still like this, this trauma that we've dealt with this year as fans about getting our hopes up and being let down. And now I think people are sort of embracing, not embracing, they're bracing for some other letdown that might not actually ever arrive that could just ride this thing into the promised land. But I do think that there's a, like a, like a, like a dampering of the excitement because 
is this real? Like it doesn't feel real to deal with this many injuries and have this much success, something that Browns fans aren't used to. So the doom has to be around the corner. You know what I mean? I think that's true. I think that there's an expectation of another shoe going to drop at some point. And a lot of these injuries have felt like that other shoe. I, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the saying that was going around, especially in the second half of the season, that one team can't handle X number of injuries or whatever. And the Browns have kind of put that really out of their minds. And yeah. it, you know, it's, it's happening now to Miami, for example, right? They've had four or five injuries, all of the edge rusher position over the past month, six weeks, and, and a ton of them just in their last game against Buffalo. So now they're signing Justin Houston off the street today to try and put something together for the playoffs when they go into Kansas City this weekend. It's And it's the same thing. You see their beat writers now saying they've never seen anything like this where it's so many injuries at one position. I think there is, Jake, a larger conversation, by the way, about the NFL and teams getting to the end of the season with just a bare cupboard. And what that does to the product. Exactly. I, I think yeah. that's worth talking about, but I guess as long as the playoff games are close, it, it maybe won't ever matter. But it does seem like it's happening more and more where teams are not finishing strong because they're yeah. just they, there's nothing left. So I, I agree with you. I think there has been a sense of doom around the season from the beginning in a way that there wasn't last year. But I do also think that part of what made last year so frustrating was that it didn't seem like things were going against them other than the fact that they kept shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. Right. Their their yeah. adversity last year was almost entirely self imposed, other than the suspension of one player. Yeah, it gets a little resulty, right? And 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 they're doing it seems like I will give them credit, it seems like they're doing the things that they needed to fix into this year to get the one score games to move in the right direction. But I think in general where I'm coming from here is that if Watson was playing as well as Flacco is right now and Nick was healthy. Oh, I, I definitely think that people yeah. would be off oh, the rails about this absolutely. thing. So yes. I, I just generally think, and I wanted to almost even respond to Ken's bit that was posted on Twitter about that. Cause I get it. Like, I just, I do think people are like, this isn't normal. This is pretty strange. And there's no way this lasts. Yeah. But the ironic part is that this is a playoff where it could last mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of the shape of the AFC. So that's why I think as the week builds, Hopefully people get more excited. And if they beat Houston, that's where I hope it amps up because you can beat Baltimore. You can beat them and they've done it. So I'm looking forward to it. And it's an exciting game. Let's do injuries. So this was like, I think both teams were walking through this thing, Andrew. Am I right about that? Yeah, because it's Tuesday. So it technically should still be an off day for them. But they, I think, got all of yesterday off and yeah. are back in early. It's you kind of don't think about this, Jake, because last time the Browns played in the playoffs, it was a Monday nighter or Sunday nighter, I guess. Yeah. Um, you don't think about the, that the teams that play 430 on Saturday really do get a little bit of a short end of the stick here. They sure do. They get a day cut out of it, like you said. And the teams that play Monday get a potentially a day cut out of it later. So it's some teams don't even get any of those. They just get Sunday games, and that must be nice. But imagine. Uh, the, imagine. Let's go through just, again, grain of salt here because these are – projections for a walkthrough so joel batonio is not injury related it's rest but also has a oblique and knee label so i mean a little contradictory um he's a dnp uh let's see here next dnp is amari cooper still getting the heel right uh we have another dnp for miles garrett it's got something personal listed there so i, I do wonder andrew if he's still maybe going through some stuff there um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to say personal when they didn't have to put that there. They could have put rest, right? Maybe related to the funeral. I, that's I what I'm know. getting at. Yeah, I don't know either, but that's that's of note to me. Uh, obviously still labeled with a shoulder and now a hamstring. DMP for Hopkins, left hamstring. He's been ruled out, so you are getting Riley Patterson this weekend. I will take that opportunity over not having a kicker like they did the last time they played the Texans. I think that has a chance to be something beneficial, Andrew. I'll just go on a limb and say that, so... There you go. Uh, Kareem Hunt, groin. He's been dealing with that groin for a while, but continues to play through it. Uh, Greg Newsom was a DMP labeled with a knee. David Njoku, not injury-related. Some rest, but also a knee label for him. Pierre Strong with the back, which Andrew and I are not optimistic that he will be able to go in this game. Um, and I, I think a short running back rotation is fine with me anyway. But yep, not, probably not works. Conversation later. Juan Thornhill, 
the calf, not a good sign. We talked about this late last week, re-aggravation. And then Cedric Tillman, the concussion, he was a DMP label too. So a lengthy list, didn't even really give you the guys who were limited, uh, but of the limited group, um, I don't, I mean, Okoronkwo, it's a positive sign that he's labeled as limited. Uh, other than that, I don't think there's any crazy uh, surprises. On the Texan side, Will Anderson labeled with an ankle. Uh, we have Noah Brown with a back. We'll see if he plays uh, Malik Collins with a hip. Uh, Grenard, am I saying this? Is it Greenard or Grenard? I'm not sure how how, how he goes about pronouncing that. But um, Great question, Jake. We'll figure that out by the end of the week. Uh, Jerry Hughes and, and Grenard also have uh, both of those are ankle designations. Shaq Mason's arrest guy, Laramie Tunzel, both of their best offensive linemen getting a rest day, air quotes. Sheldon Rankins with a shoulder DMP, so that's worth keeping an eye on. And then Robert Woods with a hip DMP. So all of those injuries, a lot of them, signify, first of all, what Andrew was talking about with so many games. The NFL needs to adopt a second bye week. We need it in a bad way. But that's the lengthy injury list here. So uh, anything worth hitting on from that group? Grant Delpit, we don't have any indication he's back. But Stefanski said there is a possibility he could be activated by the end of the week, right? Yeah, I th- and I think he's probably slow playing that. I, I would, I'm really hoping that Delpit can be back, but maybe he's not, and maybe it is truly up in the air. I'm surprised they didn't open his practice window today, but of course they only walked through, so maybe they don't need to for him to participate in a walkthrough. I'm not sure how those rules work. Yeah. So maybe tomorrow's the day that he, he tries to get out there and we see what happens. But yeah, that's, that's the big one still to come here is uh, – what's going on with Grant. And then obviously the kicker situation is, is what it is. I, I I do think he's not been ruled out. It's just that Stefanski said that he's doubtful to play. Okay. Unlikely to play, but it's not obviously looking good. And you do kind of go back to, I know we've got a question about this later, the decision to try and chase that kick return as being fairly momentous. (laughs) Let's hope not. Listen, Riley Patterson, pretty good in uh, pretty good in some key elements. No, you're right. You ready to go it's, to him? As you He's said too... before, not like they have nobody. <laughs> no, I mean, again, they could be in a real bad spot here where they couldn't find a soul. Patterson against Houston, two games in Houston, four or four on extra points, three or three on field goals. Career in a dome, obviously driven by his uh, Detroit experience, 14 games, 39 of 40 on extra points, 25 of 26 on field goals. And then two games in the playoffs, four or four on extra points, three and three on field goals. So I don't know. I mean, I would love to have Hopkins. He was just absolutely nails for these games all year. I first of all wanted him to get rewarded with that record in the season uh, and then be a part of the offseason here. But again, Patterson, for what the situation is, could not have been a better fit. And let's hope he can, um, you know, curry up some good favor for the Browns in this one uh, with a big kick at a big moment. We'll, uh, we'll hope that comes together. It looks like Bohorquez was fine after punting. He isn't listed. If Tillman can't go, you're talking David Bell, Marquise Goodwin getting a lot of snaps. If Pierre Strong can't go, then we're talking John Kelly activation for this week. You get your wish, Andrew. Maybe he gets a carry or two. Maybe put a little like plus 7,000 John Kelly first touchdown run. Sup? Make some money. Got to live a little bit. Live a little bit, folks. You know, another thing, Andrew, I think I wanted to hit on before we take a break is some of the quotes that came out from JOK, who I think is quite honestly the best interview on the Browns right now. He he mm-hmm. goes above and beyond to thoroughly answer questions. And he gave us some insight on the team meeting and some things that Flacco had to say. I know you can provide uh, some of those for us, but I just think the way um, JOK described it was really encouraging. And the things Flacco had to say were uh, important for the team to hear. And, and you know, because again, the 2020 roster is not, all here, right? It's like 20 guys. It's not all yeah. the same. There's a bunch of right. new guys making playoff debuts here. So hearing from somebody like Joe, who's seen the biggest of the big that carries weight, right? Yeah. And it's, it, it seemed to really have an impact on at least GOK, but I imagine probably a lot of the players, uh, Jeremiah said that was probably the best team meeting that I've been a part of just in reference to the focus, the emphasis on making sure that you take every opportunity with intensity and I think that's the most important part going into this. This whole week has to be intentional. I believe it was uh, Jim Schwartz that said that when you have a great play, it can make you a legend. But if you have a great mistake, it can worsen things for you. But I think the idea this week is in the process is to make sure that we correct all the mistakes and figure out what we need to overcome. 
he also said uh, Flacco got up in the meet- team meeting yesterday and he said that this is an emotional season and you have waves here and waves there. But at the end of the day, when you get into the game, the emotions are going to die down and this will be a game. This will be a game based on discipline, based on the fundamentals. And that's what uh, he emphasized yesterday in reference to his experience in the playoffs. So that's those were the JOK quotes. But I, Flacco also talked about it today. And he said, uh, everybody puts so much thought into what it takes to win these games. And it's doing the simple things the best you can and just playing good fundamental football. This is the time of year where that stuff shows up. Obviously, there's going to be plays made and guys are going to make a name for themselves. Something's going to happen over the next five weeks that we're going to remember forever. And those are the things that you can see. So I, I just think in terms of trying to, I don't know, quantify the intangible nature of Joe Flacco's experience, having been there and done that in the playoffs. I think that all of what I just read goes a long way towards helping understand how different it is to have a a quarterback in his position. You mentioned 2020, contrast that to who Baker Mayfield was as a quarterback and a leader for the team. And I think you start to see how it can make a difference in the road that the Browns are starting to walk down. Yeah, having that guy that you can look to in the uh, the huddle, that you know that that guy has been there, he's done it. I mean, Andrew, if they win a game or two here, you might be talking about the the best late season addition to any NFL team ever. Right. You're mm-hmm. getting into that territory. Um, I don't have any others off the top of my head, but I think they're getting into that territory, right? No, for sure. I, there's no, there's no doubt. And I think that part of what we have said over the past few weeks about where this can go and why we should get excited is specifically because of the match of where this team was specifically where this defense was and has been talent wise, attitude wise, and then where this particular quarterback has been in his career trajectory and how those two things have matched up in a, in a way that I think serendipitous is really the only way that you can describe it, right? That they are meeting each other exactly where they're at in terms of believing the confidence that that creates. And then understanding that the only way that you get respect in this league, the way that you, you win these games is just going out and taking them. It's really great. I mean, we've done enough pumping up Flacco. He's got t-shirts made. He's, he's been great. I hope, I don't think the pressure's too much. He lets it all roll off of him, but he's, He's really, I mean, I can't even believe we're doing this conversation right, we're doing right now around <laughs> around Joe Flacco in Cleveland. I just, I keep going back to that random person posting the picture of him on the plane and like thinking that was a joke. Like, like there's for no sure. way Joe Flacco's trying out for the Browns and like yep. where this roller coaster of this season has gone. And it's, you, <laughs> you couldn't write a script better so far than this. That's it. So I hope you guys are enjoying it. And I am like thinking we do a little bit more of like the reflective stuff in the off season uh, where we sit back and kind of laugh at the funny nature of like, well, what brought them to where they were. But for now it's like just a big thanks to those guys for, for the ride they've given us and what could have been an awful season. And they have turned it into one of the more magical seasons in the entire franchise's history, not the 99 thing, the entire franchise history. So that's absolutely right. Hey, by the way, while we're on that topic of of just emotions and big picture, uh, our buddy Cleology uh, posted his yearly, uh, well, his playoff hype video. I guess is the way to say it. not yearly. The Browns aren't in the playoffs that often, but yeah. he posted his hype video for the game this weekend and for what the Brown season has been. It's like five minutes. It's incredible. Everybody should go check it out. So uh, Cleology on Twitter, and uh, it's it's a it's a hoot. I'm sure There's a lot of you have seen it, but if you haven't, right? Yeah. Uh, Undersc- yeah. uh, right. Underscore C-L-E-O-L-O-G-Y. Shout out to Clay. Not I, do, I don't know many bigger Browns fans and a great mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he could probably have cleaned up some fantasy football decisions he made this year. Uh, but that's for, that's for a different wow. podcast okay. at a different time. Hmm. We'll, we'll have that. We may have him on to discuss you some of the talk- decisions trophy right now or you want to say i mean i i'm not going to say i have it ordered and it's on the way to my house but Mm -hmm. it will have a special place in the office here so Mm -hmm. i see i see a dynasty won the league so that's all you really need to know you know what are you going to say it's like dealing in in euchre you know just sometimes the cards land in the right way so money in my pocket and i think as a dynasty situation here i feel pretty good 
about how long this run can can last. Let's just mm. say I'm feeling very 90s Cowboys right now. Wow. Okay. So, you know, just saying, cool. feeling real confident. I'm glad this got here. brought up. Yeah, there we go. I know everyone's loving it. But that's all the stuff we have surrounding the teams. We're going to learn more in the coming days. Obviously, as these next two days are going to be where they ramp up, especially tomorrow. Browns will probably travel like, what do you think they'll travel? Thursday afternoon, maybe Friday? I don't know when they'll travel. I'm not even sure. They've already done this with Houston recently. Yeah, so. you're, it's a good point. They think they typically travel on Fridays for Sunday games, so you'd think they would probably travel to Thursday for a, 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 a Saturday game, I guess. Yeah. So an important walkthrough today and then an important practice tomorrow to sort of figure out where everything is. So we'll keep you in tune with everything there. We are going to switch over now to the mailbag after a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, so you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that Game Time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, Andrew, we're going to start on offense this week. We're going to work backward. I know last week we switched it up, but we're getting into the offense to start. Here we go. First question from Swigs. Can the Browns replicate or take anything from the Colts that they did last week in order to have success in a run game against the Texans? Uh, I, I answered this question, question, Swigs. I apologize, man, a little. Um, no, I wasn't even, I wasn't trying to be like, the reason the Texans are good is a couple, or sorry, the Colts are good is a couple reasons. They do, I mean, the Browns could run more inside zone because that's what the Colts like to do. I have personally not totally dug into those games yet. Uh, to see what they did to hurt them specifically, but that is a part of what they do. But I think the biggest reason is that the Colts are just better. Bernard Raymond, their their right tackles, had a great year. Braden Smith, sorry, Smith's the right, and then Raymond's the 
left and and then you know their center ryan kelly's had a great i think it's ryan kelly is that a great season and then the you know they have quentin nelson who's a perennial all pro guard too i just think they're they're healthier up front right now and jonathan taylor is significantly better than what the browns are putting on the field right now by the way zach moss what are you doing this offseason let's have a chat be interested yeah that's that's not a bad that's not a bad shout. You know, the, the other one, Jake, just while we're going to talk running backs in the offseason, I didn't realize Austin Eckler is a free agent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a nice little uh, pass catching wrinkle. I'd be, they're just going to be curious to see where the Browns sit on Ford if they're comfortable with him being like, hey, you be the guy again until Nick gets back. But there needs to be a real plan there. And I'll be interested to see how they handle it. But we're not doing that. We're not doing it. We're yeah. not doing it. Yep. We're you're waiting. Right. We're waiting. I'm guilty. I screwed that up. But. The biggest thing for me, Andrew's personnel is better to run it on that side. Obviously, we know that the Colts don't throw it as well. Um, but I think the Browns could maybe pull out a couple more RPOs, could tie in a little more inside zone to what they do. But I think the Colts are just a different animal in the run game at the right time. The Colts are healthier than they've been up front. And Taylor, obviously, a pretty special running back. Uh, not in Nick's tier, but the tier just below it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's the scheme component. Taylor's a, a great back. They also don't have a, a really strong ability to move the ball downfield in the passing game with how Minshew's been playing. So they, I think that it's it's as much out of necessity the way they attack the Texans as anything else. But credit to them for for doing what they did. And uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be difficult for the Browns to obviously emulate any of that. But I will say that there's always the chance that schematically something sticks out, a specific concept that gave them trouble that the Browns can can pick on. And that's really all you're hoping for here. You're not hoping, or at least I'm not going into this game, hoping that the Browns can run for 150 or something like that. I'm hoping that they can find one or two schemes that work so that when they need, when they find themselves in a second and four or, you know, a third and two, they have something they feel like they can go to a few times without having to put the ball in Flacco's hands. Yeah. Efficiency is what's needed big time. None of those, you cannot have a huge negative zero gain, uh, game in this one expect to win all right next question from mason houston could not guard amari in the first matchup i'm sure we expect double coverage and other strategies to limit this impact how did our receiving core plus tight ends perform in one-on-one matchups against houston um well <laughs> i thought everybody played pretty well the thing is that he wanted to give amari a bunch of chances and i i talked about this on another show andrew like they're a match quarters team and they play some cover i don't think they have some some perfect answer for amari i really don't I think that they think that Stingley was a step off on a couple throws that he he probably does a better job of making plays on. And maybe they shadow him, maybe they don't, but they're a match quarters team, so they're going to naturally bracket some routes. And I think that they want to roll the dice with that again. I would be pretty stunned if they played like tilting cover six to him the whole time. I would just be really surprised by that. I, I, don't, I don't think that they uh, would go about it that way because of who they are. Like they're just... I think again, D'Amico's going to have some wrinkles here, but I certainly do not expect them to overwhelm Amari in an attempt to just stop him because I think Flacco's more than willing to throw to David, who hurt them the first time, continues to hurt pretty much everybody in the back half of the season. And Elijah, if he's playing well and up to par, like has had some moments playing the opposite outside receiver too. So I, I just think that the Texans' coverage is going to be match quarters again and cover three and then maybe an uptick in some man stuff in certain down and distances with some pressure packages tied to it. I don't really know how much more creative they can get, but uh, that's, that's where I sit on it right now. So I think that the general question is they're going to get natural double teams on Amari, but that like the first play was a great example of that. They're bracketing that lean post he's running, but he just sort of sells kind of leans to the outside into the corner. Jimmy Ward's trying to bracket him and just gets beat. Like, you know, it's the same thing he did against the Cardinals on that ball up the right sideline. He will run, it's deceptive runner, Amari Koo. He will run right past you and make plays. So he'll have chances. I really do think he'll have chances in this game. So I don't think they'll totally take him away. I'm not calling 265, but I think he's going to have an 80-plus, 90-plus game and a touchdown. I, I think he's going to play that kind of game. Yeah, I don't see a path, looking at this just more more broadly here, I don't see a path for this being a a rock fight. Because I don't think the Texans' defense – now, maybe this comes back to bite me in the ass, Jake, but I don't see the Texans' defense as being good enough. To, yeah, if the Browns to, don't beat themselves, do right, silly things, right? Right, right, yeah. If Flacco gives it away three times, sure. But but in terms of just a bunch of three and outs and a bunch of punts, I don't see that on the cards. I think the 
if 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 it's going to go anyway, I see it more likely that Stroud is is absolutely on fire, and the Browns have to keep pace. But I, I don't see the Browns being shut out offensively in this one. I think they're as you just really did a great job of laying out. They've got different ways to get there, and they don't have a true answer in their identity for who Amari Cooper is and what he can do. So I'm looking forward to it from that perspective. As as I I think the defense has a challenge. I, I talked about this yesterday. The defense has a fun challenge with Stroud, and I think the offense has opportunities. So I think from both of those perspectives, it's going to be a, a fun to watch. The biggest wrinkle for Kevin, in my opinion, um, because the next question here asks about this from Doyle, play calling wrinkles do you hope Kevin has up his sleeve, is how can he use Amari to open up other people? Yeah, because if you're worried sure. about stopping Amari, and maybe they're rolling down a safety to play curl flat and rob underneath that, or they're doing something to rotate cover six, to have a high-low on him, whatever. How can you make those eyeballs focused on him pay for other players on the field? So what I will be interested in is seeing how they pair Amari's routes with other people's tandem routes or maybe whole field clearouts where he's on the post like a Yankee concept with the post route from Amari and an over route from Elijah to draw two and give a one-on-one chance to Elijah, something like that. Like, I think that... If you're so worried about Amari Cooper, the Browns have to be focused on how do they they use Amari to free up other guys. That's the thing I want to see. Like when we're breaking down this tape, obviously we'll be clued in on you know what they're doing in the run game and how they tried to either got it to work or not, but what they're doing with Amari to create space for other players, running backs, tight ends underneath some of his routes. That's what I'm drawn to because Kevin's, Route concept pairing stuff has been pretty good. So I'll be very interested to see what they do there, Andrew. I think that's a that's a great thing to, to look out for for folks. Um, on the Schwartz end, I talked about this a little bit yesterday. I just think when you're so predictable like the Browns are, you don't have to do much to throw teams off the scent because you have such strong indicators because you do so few things mm-hmm. that when you do change it up, it's going to have more impact as a result. When a team is truly multiple, and I mean, the Ravens are a great example, you don't know what they're doing, so you 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 they do such a good job of disguise. You often can't prepare in the same way for if the safety rotates in this way. We know we've got this coverage. They do all sorts of decoy stuff to confuse you, so it changes the way you prepare. I think the Browns are more predictable, and the the result of that is that it makes their when they are more unpredictable more effective. I think, and so. I think with a with a young quarterback especially, can you find one or two things that he has struggled with beyond man that can be a fun change-up in some crucial third-down situations, some cru- crucial red zone situations, for example, if, he, if they get down into the red zone where you want to try and hold him to a field goal, where you just change the picture for him in such a way that the stuff that he thinks is pretty clear because the Browns have been fairly predictable is all of a sudden not clear. There's that, and I think the other thing is – winning with four consistently so they don't have to blitz and getting yeah. pressure on Stroud naturally and some of the stuff that they can do with games and other things up front to try and get Garrett off of Tunsil at times and move him around a little bit. Yeah. Even if he's lined up across from him, find a way to get him a release from Tunsil in those situations. I think if you do those two things, the Browns will be in a, a good shape defensively. Yeah, and probably the little wrinkles are things we won't see on TV. So like – I, I'm I'm keen on still playing zone against these guys, but in a way that is not predictable for CJ. So like you can play three deep, three under, but fire zone, right? So overload a side, drop out an edge or drop out a defensive tackle. I want them to be creative with who the four or five guys are coming after him so that he can't get comfortable. Like I don't want them to set up, line up, and just blitz the same Agreed. four. Agreed. Like, bring four but bring different four from different places and dropping out, wheeling out different people. That's the stuff that I would like to see. And you're right, Andrew, like can they line game some things with some stunts, move guys around? Cause what I want more than anything is the muddied pocket for Stroud, right? Yep. Like mm-hmm. I don't want him to have clear defined passing lanes. That's the biggest thing they have to be able to try to defend is taking that away from him. So, yeah. All right. Anyway, Next one uh, comes from TK Mason. How concerned are you specifically with Will Anderson this time around versus our rent tackles? Right. 
Um, <laughs> First of all, it's, this is like the PJ Walker thing. Deron Christian was chilling on his couch, man. If Joe yeah. Flacco gets credit for coming off of his couch, how about the left tackle getting some credit for coming off of his guy? Because I was thinking, like, what's a step above like a renaissance or buy here, pay here? Would it be like layaway tackles? Yeah. Like, what What is uh right payment plan? Klarna, Klarna tackles. <laughs> there it is. That's that's what it is. Not rent a tackle. These are Klarna. We're paying as mm-hmm. we go, sort of thing. I, yeah, I'm with you. Like, we can't just bash these guys. No. <laughs> And I, I'm not, I'm not sure we're trying to do that. I think maybe I've even said rent a tackle on this on the show. No, for sure. And I'm I'm just having a little bit of fun. But it is, I think, one of the things that is just because these guys are not playing as the best in the league. Part of what makes this Brown season so cool is that none of their positions have bottomed out, despite at times having to rely on players off the street. And if you can get players that are not part of your normal roster, part of your preseason roster to just show up and play even average ball, you can survive. And that's where they've been. They've been surviving. Yeah. So as I far did, as I, I did have a conversation with Mina Kimes today, not to name drop on the spot. <laughs> um, but we had, uh, we had retweeted that the Browns were in uh, Brandon Thorne, who's, who's work on offensive defensive line stuff. I've said this on the spot so many times is some of the best in the industry because he genuinely focuses on that. Uh, he has the Browns ranked 12 out of 14 offensive lines, which I thought, it's kind of fitting because the guards have not been as good as their name value has been. And postage has been beat up and Antonio beat up and they are playing the two Klarna tackles trying their best here. I don't think it's meant to be a knock. I think they're doing the best they can. And he credits some people, right? And Stefanski gets credit for it. Callahan gets credit for it, but every single thing, Andrew, they do is built around giving their tackles the easiest path to success. Everything. If they're in empty, they're bringing two people in as wings to chip. They're bringing in Jerome Ford, and they're bringing in like a tight end of choice. Sometimes David, sometimes Harrison, if they're in 12 personnel. And they're running three men downfield and then releasing those guys after they chip a defensive end, releasing them either to the flat. Kevin's got creative. He's released them on drags, and he's released them on those like Texas or angle routes. And I'm telling you, those angle routes, man, they are sitting there for the taking. There's been a couple of those that I broke down where it's like, oh, God, that dude is wide open because people think they just slide to the flat. That's the thing he's doing all the time. He likes to be an empty, but how do I get an empty without risking these guys on an island? How do I get some downfield shot opportunities without putting my tackles on an island? I move the pocket. I pull a guard for the front side tackle slide everybody away to give extra help, move the quarterback away from that backside edge, right, Andrew? So slide him right, pull that guard with him. So my more talented Batonio or Teller is taking on the edge player, set up the pocket, reset it, move it, see if the coverage adjusts to it, and they've hit strikes downfield off of that. Most of their throwing from under center has been driven through some play action, quick flash fake in the backfield to slow people down. Every single decision they're making with throwing the ball is meant to help the tackles. And I think that layer of difficulty is something that Kevin deserves. And we have been hard on him, hard on him on the show this year. I'm willing to admit maybe sometimes too hard. That credit is, I can't even put it into like to build your pass game around doing that and and finding ways to do it. And at the same time, perhaps sort of like, Oh God, maybe we should be doing this for Watson too. Like this can become a staple of who we are. It really might have helped shape and define the future of this Browns offense. Let's say it that way. And I can't quite give the guys who are running this offense, who again, we've been very hard on the credit they deserve for figuring that out because it's been really, really neat to watch them battle because Jerron, who you mentioned, credit to him for picking up the pads and playing here. But there are times it's really bad. And and and, and James Hudson um is is technically poor at the position. So they have had to make their own. And Joe has helped. He's done some great things in yep. navigating, but they have done as much as a coaching staff can do to alleviate the pressure on the front five. And I like just applaud him for it, man. Yeah, I think it's a great thing to to point out, Jake. And one of the things that has been probably underrated down the stretch of the season is how they have found a way in that specific to 
basically mitigate the the problems that they've got to tackle through scheme and it's it's really impressive and I don't I really don't think I've heard anybody nationally talking about it because it does look weird, right? It's just even just in terms of feel when you see a a quarterback taking a big play action drop and you see a guard pulling, it's like what are we looking at here? But yep. it works. If it works, it works and it works. So credit to them for figuring out a little wrinkle that works and I have I I think as far as I know, Jake, that's their thing. I I think they originated it. But I have seen some other teams doing it the last few weeks. Yeah, it's become popular across the NFL as pulling guards have become more popular. Shanny does it every now yeah. and again. You know, those guys who move their guards in space, but like they're uh, cornering the market for the volume of that and how they're using it now to combat other issues on the roster. So again, um, an OBR film breakdown applause for those guys. Okay, we switch over to defense. Now I'm going to let you ask your own question, Andrew. It came from you. I'm just kidding. It was another Andrew on social, but... uh, Great name, bud. Yeah, there it is. What are the chances that Ward and Emerson can lock down the Texans receivers? I'll actually answer my own question too. Very good is my answer. Very good. I, I know that Nico Collins is getting a lot of love and he's playing really well. Other than that, the Texans don't have much at receiver right now, especially with the injuries that Noah Brown and Robert Woods are dealing with. So the the they're going to be able to help on Collins, I think. They need to, Andrew. I'll take it a step further. They could, go. should, they need to, to mm-hmm. win this game. Yeah. They but can't have Nico that, going for 200 yards. It no, for sure. Happen. For sure. I also think Collins is the type of player that Emerson really likes playing yeah. against. Yep, so. he's that body type. I agree. I agree. Um Okay, next question. Seeing as how Stroud performed at about a 0.1 EPA standard and about a negative 0.45 EPA when pressured, those numbers mean nothing to you listening to this, meaning he's um, pretty good when he's not pressured, but he dips into a dicey category when he is pressured. Do you see Schwartz bringing more pressure than usual? That question comes from Ben. I think we kind of answered this a little bit, Mm -hmm. but... I don't mind a 10 to 15 blitzes, but I want them to be creative with who the four. I want him guessing all day who the four blitzers are. Who's yeah. the four guys coming after me? Right. Where are they coming from? Who's dropping? He needs to be asking himself a ton of questions at the line. Agreed. That's the I, way you beat CJ Stroud. It doesn't one. necessarily have to be additional rushers. It can Correct. be four, but it just can't be predictable. And I Correct. think so. The, the goal, I think, especially given what we just said about Nico Collins, should be to get home with four and leave that extra piece in in the underneath middle or over the top, wherever you can find, wherever you need an extra guy to yep. to guard against those deep shots, because I think that's worth doing. I think this is where the sort of center field that Hickman has been playing so confidently can really help them, because you, you can feel very safe leaving Hickman back 20 yards beyond the line of scrimmage and just say, don't let that, don't do what Nick Cross did on the first play of the game for the Colts and, yeah. and just watch Nico Collins run past you. You can't yeah. allow that to happen. So, but I think pressure, pressure for sure. They got to get pressure. It's, I think if they can get it with four, that's obviously preferable. Um, one other thing I'll say here, always true for quarterbacks, hit them early, get, get, find a way to get home. If you're going to blitz, let's blitz early. Let's get physical with Stroud early, get him sped up because you see that happen. You saw that happen with the, the Trevor Simeon game. He got a few hits early, and then the rest of the night the ball came out in like a second. So you can you can speed players up, and that happens to even really good players like C.J. Stroud when they get hit a lot early. All right, next question. Uh, seemed like Laramie Tunsil was struggling a little bit with the groin, potentially, uh, trying to get out early a few times uh, against Garrett and then also with the Colts. Um, and then so it's – Cody's asking, well, it really not even a question, just an observation. Need to take advantage of that. And also uh, the Houston Texans have penalty issues. They're 29th in the NFL, 6.7 a game. That's a great stat, Cody. Well, let's see who the referee is. I mean, sometimes <laughs> playoff games, they swallow the whistle, which I don't love because I think we would all agree that the Browns haven't had the fortune of being called uh, for holding penalties up front the way we would like. But also if the Browns do get grabby in the secondary – you hope they let them play, right? So there's a little bit of give and take on that one that I hope uh, the Browns can find the benefit of because if I recall the game they played some of their worst defense in Indianapolis, even in, in L.A. with the Rams, they were called for some of those defensive holdings and illegal contact. So for sure. 
They, they need to, if the trade-off is we're going to let them play up front, we're going to let them play in the secondary. Good for me. I'll, I'll, I'll handle that because I think eventually the Browns are going to win enough of those reps to get home. So Agreed. certainly that's the trade-off I would have. AJM asked the next question. Your discussion on today's pod about throwing new wrinkles at Stroud was great. We thank you. What do you see Schwartz? Uh, sorry. In what ways do you see Schwartz doing that? If Delpa can go, I think three safety looks and blitzes could be interesting. I agree. We've also mentioned some of the ways uh, throughout this, the show, AJM there, who uh, hopefully we've answered that for you with disguising who is, who is going to be the fourth or at times fifth guy. I don't think it needs to be a 20 blitz game. I don't think that. They're good enough at generating pressure with four, but I want to confuse CJ about who's coming, who's dropping, who's the middle hole player, the low level player against cover one, who's the deep hole sitter, right? And his, his inverted cover two. I just need I need CJ Stroud to think all damn game. That's how you beat him. If you let him just sit up the line, all right, I know what they're doing. Think about Matt Stafford, right? What did he know? He had a great feel for what they were doing all game. And that's when you get the quick placement throwing quarterbacks delivering the football in under 2.4 seconds. And then you're asking yourself in the fourth quarter, do we get a single pressure on this guy? No, you're not because you can't cover anybody. And he's dissected where to go with the football before you can even process it. That's what I'm sure the Texans are working on this week. We'll see if they can bring that to fruition. But I think the Browns will have a good plan to make him think uh, quite a bit. That's that's my hope. I can't. I, I'm really looking forward to breaking that down after. I know you and I talked about this on yesterday's show about the coaching differences make the the details in the coaching decisions are usually what make a good number of playoff game outcomes happen. And uh, I'm excited to see how Kevin, who I consider a good game plan guy, and obviously Schwartz now with a lot more tools at his disposal than his late uh, Philly run there to put together something unique and challenging for CJ and Slowick in this one. Yeah, I agree. That's It's got to happen. And, and I think that is the one of the surest paths to, to, to a victory for the Browns. Next question is uh, from Matt Lozar. Uh, how will the Browns handle Nico Collins? We kind of talked about this a little bit, but uh, he's got some specific questions. Do they traditionally bracket a top wide out and force the other ones to beat them? Or uh, will they travel Ward or Emerson? What do you think, Jake? I don't think they'll travel them. They keep them pinned to the side that they're on. The Browns, though, are a unique secondary where they believe in all their dudes. They believe in their three guys. They also believe in Cam Mitchell. They're not afraid of putting them on people, right? So could they put that wrinkle in place, Andrew, and travel Emerson to Nico because the body type fit and all of that? Maybe. But I think that they know that they're good enough, as is, to challenge these guys with their status quo, wrinkling in more differences up front. So I don't think they're going to bracket him. They might throw some cover six at him in some situations that call for that sort of thing. Third and eight, right? Third and 12. Yeah. Those long down and distance situations. But I, I mean, I don't think you're going to see two people chasing him like he's prime Calvin Johnson or something. Well, like, I, I like Nico he's Collins a lot. Uh, I like him a lot. And I understand that he, there are not as many weapons uh, surrounding him with, with Tank Dell down. But if you specifically key in on one person who's not, that big of a difference maker i think it can sometimes lead to breakdowns in other places so i am fine just playing them straight up in that scenario and if nico is having a great early game then maybe you change mid course right and let's let's try to throw a different body at him more frequently let's try to throw a different bracket at him um you know through through natural coverage right uh you know tip off the uh, hook hook player about you know if he's on his side can we get a communication call some of those things so uh, but the Browns, uh, you know, the Browns are used to playing the Bengals like they're used to playing guys, man. <laughs> There's no fear in those those guys. I mean, like and this is deep analysis here, Andrew, but I think they got that dog in them and they are not afraid to. Uh, I wish you okay, I was going to say I hope you unmuted yourself for that laugh, because otherwise I'm sitting in silence at my joke. <laughs> I think they have the x-rays done. They got the little canine in their rib yeah, cage. Yeah, yeah. It's, no, it's they, they have a lot of confidence. Greg Newsom right. dances and, and right. Denzel's got the guitar strum. Like they believe in Newsom's themselves and they backed it up. Uno right? glasses at the press conference today, Jake. He's wearing he's wearing Uno glasses for the wild card. I like that. I actually didn't know that that was going on. I saw that I didn't put it's in the happening. wild the wild card thing. He's I mean, a character. But. I, I'm assuming that's what that's what it's about. I I could be wrong about that. Maybe he's just a fan of the card game, but uh, I think it's about the. Uh, no, you're right. I think that's a great 
it, it is, it's funny, but it is also true that part of what matters in the NFL is walking into an opposing stadium thinking you are going to beat their asses, and they're going to do that on Saturday. Yeah, it's okay to feel confident about Brown's strengths of their roster. And if they get beat, they get beat, but they're not going to – I just don't feel like there's a bunch of panic about this Agreed. Texans pass-catching group. So. Agreed. All right, next question as we switch over to special teams coaching now comes from Eli. What's up, Eli? Uh, who are one or two under-the-radar guys – you think it's step up and make a big play or have a big impact in the playoffs. We're going to kind of focus on this game um, specifically. Is there sure. any, some under the radar guys that maybe we haven't talked about that you think need to have a sort of game that could, that can influence things. I don't think he's totally under the radar, but I think Okoronko is going to have a big game. I think the reason he did all he did is for this game, right? He, he went through a lot of pain, didn't have a surgery probably needed to have to come back and, and do what he's going to do. On Saturday, he's from Houston, is my understanding. He wants his get back. Yeah. Right? So, uh, yeah, I think it's. I think that's going to be one. The other name I would throw out there is David Bell. Given the Tillman injury situation, Bell's probably going to play a significant portion of snaps. And Bell's a good one. I I think he's going to find some wrinkles because I think the way that the Texans play specifically, there should be opportunities for him. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a ramp up in Kareem Hunt usage. Let's say that where he's the leading carrier. So if he can be good for three games, like kind of old cream hunt in a way where he carries it a decent amount of times, that'd be nice under the radar performance. That'd be great. Borderline. Great to see. Um, otherwise it's again, not under the radar, but you need JOK to be special. He's got to be really good. Like he needs to be making those difference making plays. He had an interception there last time off a tip ball but the Browns run defense has not been as consistent as we need it to be the second half of the year. Most of the plays that are being made in the backfield are driven by him. So he is going to need to be on top of things. And if he could make a game changing strip sack force fumble down the field somewhere, mm -hmm. that's a, that's a performance they could really badly use in this one. All right, next question is from Evan Dawson, our good friend. Uh, he says, sounds like Hopkins won't kick this weekend, and I am nervous. My first game ever was watching Mark Mosley try to kick a wire season in 1986. J Jake, have you watched the highlights of that game? Single bar um, uh, yeah. with the uh, bleached mustache. I, I believe that's right, yeah. But yeah. I, I wasn't talking about his personal style. I was talking more about the fact that he missed a bunch of field goals, tried to give that game away, and ended up winning it. Toe bash kicker, right? Yeah. Still talking yeah. about his style over here. I can't get past I, uh -huh. it. Yeah. Yeah. I would hope that that uh, in a dome is not the outcome we see here, but yeah, it's I've a fun seen, game to watch, it. is my point. It is. I've seen it. It is rough at times. The, right. the, uh, the nervous energy in that stadium as he kept missing. Yes. Yes. Okay. So Evan says on the list of Big Brown's mistakes of 2023, which is, I don't know, arguably pretty short. Yeah. How big is the mistake made by Bubba against Houston? I will admit I might be overly results oriented, but the decision to kick short was an attempt to gain five yards of field position. Is it worthwhile or necessary? Evan, I would refer you to Jack Duffin's Twitter feed because uh, he's covering this issue. Rest assured, he is covering it. I am going to be honest, Evan. All due respect, I haven't thought twice about it. They've covered yep. kicks at, up to that point, had covered kicks really well, and it took a miraculous return. That It was a great move by the returner. A couple guys get away with holding. I, that's just to me as a results thing. Like I think the process with kickoff team stuff has been fine. Um, and I know that like in hindsight, I'd like to stand next to Hopkins and just whisper in his ear, don't chase him. Hopkins would probably like to rewrite his own history there and don't chase him. But he's also trying to get the belief of his teammates, right? Like kickers want, like kickers try to tackle sometimes. They want their guys to like them. They want to feel like part of the team. So it's like, sort of scolding Bubba for that or scolding Hopkins for trying to run it down. It's like, you can't live life that way. We can't do those things. Their kickoff team has been good all year. Now they've been leaky as more depth has been put in place uh, in the secondary, the, the defense and some of those things. And like Walker's injury has impacted some things, but I don't, I don't live in any regret world about that. It happened. It stinks. I also think Riley Patterson for the situation is fine too. Like, Maybe he misses a big kick, but Hopkins has missed some big kicks in his career, and he's missed a couple PATs this year, so he's not perfect. So I'm just not like – I haven't even thought about it. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I liked 
I love Hopkins. I hope he's, he's going to be back next year, but this is not occupying my brain. Whereas I understand Evan, where you're coming from, having seen the things you've seen and all of that stuff. Like I, I get it. I just don't think that that's going to be, maybe if this game was in Cleveland and it was 25 mile per hour wind predicted or something. This is in the dome. It should be a controlled environment. And I think if we're waiting another week, I don't have much uh, doubt. I'm just brewing in me about it. Yeah, also, really... maybe that that's where the team is, Andrew, where they've, they've overcome some of this stuff this year. So I'm just less Murphy's lawing the whole thing. I don't no, know. I think I think that's a very sane way to review it for those those Browns fans that choose to be haunted constantly by the ghosts of Browns teams past. You are doing your utmost to put a jinx on this game, and they are not comfortable with the way you just put all that. The, the part of this that I think is interesting, Jake, and, and this question reminded me. The angle on that kick return when it happened on the broadcast was that the guy that coaches special teams for Houston coached with Ventrone last year in Indy. So mm-hmm. they know each other really well. So that's the angle going forward that I'm interested in is can one of these guys find something on a guy that they know really well, tendency wise, for a big special teams play that kind of comes out of nowhere to shift momentum in the game? Because kind of didn't matter in that game because of how dominant the Browns defense was able to be against the Texans offense. A special teams touchdown in a playoff game always matters. There's not a chance it won't. Mm -hmm. So if you can find a way to find one, that could be, it could truly shift the the momentum of the game. Yeah. The Browns haven't faked a punt in a long time. Let me ask you this. Is the last fake punt that Kevin Stefanski team has run the not fake punt dropped punt by Jamie Gillen in Kansas City. I think so. Just saying, buddy. Time is right. Yeah. Time is overdue. Right. Arguably overdue. They would say overdue. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, last question we have here is from Shoes54. What up, Shoes? You guys did an excellent job describing the burden of being the quarterback in Cleveland. I think we've done that on some shows over the past year or so. I think. Does winning the Super Bowl or making a deep playoff run make it easier or add to the burden of being, you know, that quarterback in Cleveland? What does it take to get past it? We, we, Andrew and I went back and forth on this question before the show, and we kind of arrived at the point where this year is like house money. Whatever Joe Flacco does, right, is just great. I even think if they lose in this wild card game, knock on wood here, that people will still be more than happy with what Joe Flacco did for the Browns. But Watson was going to have to live up to the Flacco standard. So that burden is heavier. And like, if the Browns are going to be a perennial playoff team, you do eventually get tired of the, oh man, we made it. Like it happens. The Bills, what was the Bills streak, Andrew? They hadn't been to the playoffs since... A certain point like oh two or something like that yeah, it, was, yeah, it was like 15 20 years yeah then Tarot took him and then josh arrives and they go again and like there was the initial early this is great we're contenders we're in these games look at the vibe around the bills now it's super bowl or bust the burden gets heavier the more success you have so the ultimate burden being off of a cleveland rounds quarterback like watson who we still consider the franchise quarterback He's going to have to win meaningful playoff games. And then after he does that a couple times, the only way the burden goes away is when you win a Super Bowl. That that's People want the next thing, the next yeah. thing. Yeah. It's like yeah. you'll, still does- have the, you'll still have those people who would be like, man, think about where we were five years ago. Be thankful. I'll get it. But people want, once you get that taste of success, people want it, man. They really want it. And um, I think the burden... He's asking, does the Super Bowl or deep playoff run make it easier? I would say if the Browns have a deep playoff run here, it's going to make pressure on Watson harder, higher. Definitely. Definitely. In the future. No question. Absolutely. Because because part of the, the problem is that the contract and who Watson is, all of it, means that Flacco cannot be the answer at quarterback, necessarily. Yep. It, it, yep. it excludes that from a possibility. And the media won't accept that answer if the Browns end up playing in the AFC Championship game. They just won't. And no. and so there's going to be tension as a result of that. And I think we've seen enough of Watson's personality to know by now that he is going to hear every single thing that's said about Joe Flacco and about him over the entire offseason and take it all very personally. And the way that he has handled pressure so far since being in Cleveland has not been great. 
So the only path that resolves this is that if the Browns go further next year than they do this year. As far as I can tell, that's the only way out of this. Unless you want to just kind of live in Watson contract purgatory for the next two years, which is also a possibility. I don't I don't <laughs> I don't love ending that way, but I mean it is no, a, I, well it's a good question. And yeah. hopefully listen, hopefully Flacco puts the pressure on him because if he puts the pressure on him, right, that's no, the I, Browns ultimately winning games. I, like, I think the way to end it, Jake, is to say that the the perfect we, we just talked about friggin' Mark Mosley in the eighties, mm-hmm. which is irrelevant to maybe the majority of people listening to this podcast, hopefully, for your own mental health. The Browns have one of the longest traditions of being lovable losers in the in NFL history. They made one of the most questionable trades in NFL history to get a very dicey player to be their franchise quarterback. The story where they solve their longtime lovable loser status by going through the season that they've had and winning a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco erases all of that for all time. I believe that as much as that would be unbelievable. Awesome. And I wouldn't even care what happened after it. I wouldn't care. I'm going to be a million percent clear. I wouldn't care if the NFL folded after the Browns, maybe, maybe one more year. So you could really gloat about it. It'd be nice to, yeah, to kind of hold things over people's heads next summer. Exactly. But like, once they get a Super Bowl, I don't care what the ramifications are on Agreed. Agreed. Deshaun Watson. I don't mm-hmm. I don't care. That's hey man, go yeah, go figure it out, man. You're supposed it, to be really good. Stop worrying about this other stuff. Right. And just play good football and people will stop caring at that point. Right. They'll just that, believe you're a good player. That's my point again. is that if they win if it's like what happened with the Rams and now the Rams are back in the playoffs, but they pushed it so hard with their salary cap and all their assets that they they maxed everything out. But then that was all okay because they cashed in with the trophy. And yeah. it's the same with the Browns. The whole all the all the Watson stuff, all of the Baker Mayfield stuff, the you the years, the stupid quarterback jerseys that are still somehow a thing, all of that stuff goes away when they win a Super Bowl. And to win it the way that they are potentially going to win it this year would is is like a, the full circle of all full circles because of how weird and breaking all of those trends it has been, right? Every we, This is how we started talking on this show. Every time Browns fans have thought things were going to go wrong this season, they haven't. It's it's a perfect mirror of how Brown seasons usually go. Yeah. Instead of cringing every time something bad happens, you end up celebrating. You end up yeah. on your couch laughing because Joe Flacco throws a ball directly to a Jets cornerback and Elijah Moore is like, nah, I'll take it. Yeah, that's what we, they need it. I mean, to heal the scar tissue of this stuff, they need exactly. it, and, and and it can it can change quick. It can, it can change quick, and again, the Eagles are another example, right? Where you have yes. Nick Foles, and you know Carson Wentz wasn't mentally strong enough to handle it. That's been well documented. Deshaun Watson hasn't been great on that so far, but he's got. It's not like he's got forever. Your contract does eventually run out, buddy. So figure it out. That's all we got. But again. I'm not worried about like, oh man, they're going to the Super Bowl. I really hate that because what's that going to do to Watson next year and the expectation? Nah, man, <laughs> never will cross my mind. Never. So right. there you go. All right, here we go. Let's wrap the pod. That's enough for today. We will be back tomorrow. We'll get Jordan Zermon, hopefully, if his schedule permits. Do a little bit more broad look at the NFL playoffs as a whole and then focus in um, a little bit more on maybe some individual roster components as well. Try to deal with both sides of the coin there. So um things are moving quickly towards the saturday game mailbag was was really great here from you guys so we want to remind everybody how much we appreciate those questions and your continued support of this podcast means the world to us so thanks for stopping by on this wednesday and making this a part of your day we'll be back with you tomorrow until then go browns Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.